Hey everyone, welcome to Scribe Book School, where you're gonna learn everything you need to know about how to write, publish, and market your book. In this episode, you will pinpoint exactly who your audience is for your book. Now, if you haven't already listened to a previous episode called, Do You Have Unrealistic Objectives for Your Book? Then stop this episode and go back and listen to that. You need to go through those exercises first because your objectives will need to be aligned with your audience. And for a deeper discussion of how to think about the audience for your book, check out the links in the show notes. Now, on to the episode. Book audience. So at this point, you should have a decent idea of what your uh, objectives are. If you're not finished, that's okay. If you don't know, that's okay. So let's talk about audience. What's a book with no audience called? There is a name for that. Do you know what it's called? A diary. So there's nothing wrong with writing a diary, right? Uh, But just make sure, even if you're writing a memoir, a memoir is not a diary. These are not the same thing. Do not confuse them. Um, uh, And definitely a a reputation nonfiction book is not a a diary. The difference between a diary and and a book is very simple, an audience. And so when you're writing for an audience, you need to make sure that you keep the audience in mind. So what mistakes do authors make with audiences? Let's look at a couple of them. Uh, first mistake is they go broad instead of niche. So we've talked about this before some, let's really talk about it more now. But let me use a metaphor. So what's the easiest way to strike oil? Do you dig an inch deep and a mile wide? No, that would be dumb. You're uh, an inch wide and a mile deep. And don't say it's a foot wide or two feet. You get what I mean. The point is it's a very narrow opening that goes far down into the ground, right? Okay, oil and books work the same way. As marketers like to say, the riches are in the niches, right? So great authors like Malcolm Gladwell, Tim Ferriss, they both started as in niches. Malcolm Gladwell was a science writer. Uh, Tim started in this weird niche that didn't exist when he started called lifestyle design. Michael Lewis was financial writing. I was blogging before blogging existed, right? So let's explain the difference between a niche and a broad audience because this is really important. So I want to make sure you guys all get this. Most authors should focus on a niche audience, a small audience. So for example, a book, this is a real book that we did here um, at Scribe, a guided author. Uh, uh, a book on managing a specific type of a small business, like a pizza parlor, not all small businesses, right? So this guy, Mike came in, uh, he owns like the best pizza place in Tulsa. I can't remember the name. Can you, Hal and Emily, can you guys remember the name? His pizza place? Fuck, I feel bad now. Um, it's supposedly like the best pizza place in Oklahoma, which apparently is a thing. There's like voting on this and it's won consistently for years. And so uh, anyway, he came in thinking, I got to write a book on teaching small businesses. And we're like, you know, how to run. It's like, well, why all small businesses? Because like a plumber has nothing to do with a restaurant. So why would you try? He's like, well, it's a bigger audience. It'll attract more people. It's like, okay, I guess. But the, the, again, the problem is you can't, there's almost no book that a plumber is going to use that is also applicable to someone running a pizza parlor. And so we're like, well, we asked him, so what do you do? Like, what's the objective? This is where objectives come in. Well, I want to use this book to raise my reputation in my industry and get more consulting business. What do you consult on, Mike? Uh, I help pizza parlors run. (laughs) It's like, 
dude, you're not writing a book on all small business. Why not just write a book on how to manage a pizza parlor? He's like, I thought about that, but I just thought it was too niche. It's like, no, that's good. Niche is a good thing. And so now I think he just finished the draft. I think he just turned it in. And this is going to be the definitive book on how to run a pizza parlor, right? Now, God forbid, uh, I hope we are able to go to pizza parlor soon. But it's anyway, called, uh, by the way, Tucker, it's, it's called Andalini's. That's right, Andalini's. Yeah. So if you live in Tulsa, if you live in Tulsa, I'm sure you know Andalini's. So the guy who owns Andalini's, uh, a broad audience. Now, that's a niche audience. You can write a book for a broad audience, okay? But only if the book is a specific solution to a widespread problem. So I'll give you another example from an author of ours. Um, come on now. How to lose weight. That's, a wide, that's as widespread a problem as it gets in America. That's like 50% of the population needs to lose weight, right? Using the carnivore diet. Now that's a very specific solution. Right, like that—that that is a very niche solution that doesn't apply to all people. That applies to a specific type of person and is a very specific type of solution. So there's there are weight loss sections in the bookstore. Doing a book on just general weight loss not getting you in. Doing a book on weight loss in a specific way is probably getting you in. Carnivore diet. I don't mean literal bookstore. I mean the audience positioning in the audience's mind. So. Now, as a general rule, broad ideas influence more people, but to a lesser degree, specific ideas influence less people to a greater degree. The best way I've ever heard this phrase is Dan Sullivan, who is also a client of ours, not a guided author, but I'm working with him and Ben Hartley. The smaller the niche, the bigger the market, right? And so if you're writing a book that to try and help raise your reputation, the smaller the niche, the bigger the market is good, good advice for you. Let's stop here. Are, there, are you guys seeing big questions come up with this? Because this is often like, like a very confusing thing for people in workshops. Yeah, you raise know, I, your hand if you're confused by this. Just to get a sense. Yeah, Tucker, I did, see something, in the I did see something earlier today. Somebody was asking about, I want to I write, I think it was to like um, first generation Filipino immigrants. And is that too narrow? I'm like, no, no. Like, actually, that's really good. That's great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Now, it depends what the... Uh, the uh, the, um, it depends what the objective is, right? So uh, you can be too narrow. It is entirely possible to be too narrow. We've seen this, but that usually is people, like they already had a narrow market and they heard this and like, I gotta be more narrow. No, 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 just be as narrow as possible that makes sense. Somebody they, brought up a question here. What about like seven habits of highly successful people? Like how would you describe that one working for its audience? So um, seven habits is, is about as, well, first off, it's definitely to a broad audience. It's a pretty specific solution. What Stephen Covey did is he took the seven, like he's Mormon, and he basically took the teachings of the church. And like, there's a, I'm, if, if any of you are Mormon, I'm getting the details wrong, forgive me, because I'm not Mormon, but I had a Mormon person explain this to me. And so I think it's true. And he's like, I think big in the Mormon church. Um, but he basically said Stephen Covey just used the Mormon guide to life, essentially to, to write that book. And so, but it's all, but regardless, it's still, a, and he, and Stephen started, his niche was Mormons at the beginning. Like, I know that that's how the book got big is that that book sold like a million copies in Utah before anyone had any idea outside of Utah, what this thing was. And it just turns out it was a really good book. You don't have to be Mormon at all to like it and to use it. Uh, but it, it's deeply inspired by Mormon principles and sold and, and like kind of blew up in that niche before it got bigger. 
so writing a broad self-help book is one of one of the major mistakes we see authors make is trying to write broad ideas to a broad audience because like then if, then you're competing with Stephen Covey and Dale Carnegie and Tony Robbins and Tim Ferriss and you're not going to win right but if you're taking any of that stuff and going to Filipino immigrants you're going to dominate because you're the only one writing to Filipino immigrants about those things Hey, here's a related question. Michael asked, how do you tell if a niche is saturated and uh, moving into the more mass market class? I'm not sure I understand that second part of the question, but. Uh, well, okay, I don't either. But um, uh, uh, how do you tell a niche is saturated? It's really simple. So identify the niche and then ask yourself who the dominant players are. And if you can't name anyone, it's not saturated. If you can name one person, then there's room for a second. If you can name three, don't go into it. And if you can name two, it's borderline. Then the question is, can I beat one of those two? Well, and I would also, I would think too, like it's an opportunity to rethink who you want to talk to because everybody's got unique wisdom that they're trying to teach. And if, if, if let's say, let's say stick with Filipino immigrants. Okay, first generation Filipino immigrants. How about first generation Filipino immigrants in California, right? Still a huge audience but you're gonna write California specific things for them. That might be your unique. Right, I, I would just, uh, just because people will not understand that that is too niche for a book. The, the, you don't need to write a book for California immigrants as opposed to Arizona. A lot of people there, Tucker. <laughs> That's too niche. No, uh, let, let me give you a better example. South Asian immigrants versus Filipino immigrants. Yeah. There right? you go. Like that, that's like South Asia would be Thailand, Cambodia, Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia versus just one country or one ethnicity within South Asia. That, and, and that would have just, there's not a yes or right or wrong answer there. That just depends. Hey, here's, I know you want to go on, but here's one that I really want you to talk to because it's about what an author we worked with, Ben Hardy says, how would you describe Ben Hardy's work? Um, uh, personality isn't permanent, willpower doesn't work. Right. So I helped Ben Hardy edit personality. Like I was the editor on, on personality isn't permanent and uh, Dan Sullivan's book. Uh, ben Hardy is the main co-writer and I'm editing that. So I know Ben's work really well. He's a good, good friend of mine. Um, I would describe Ben's work as personal development for smart people who want evidence-based personal development for smart people. Right. And it, it's, it's not, I don't think his stuff, he is decently broad, but like, you remember he started on Medium and his Medium articles, he's one of the first people I've ever seen who deeply understands the empirical data behind psychology and then understands how to write about it in a way that regular people can understand, right? Whereas most personal development people are taking, um, they're, they're like, okay, they're, they're coaches, let's just say. They coach people or they help people and then they see what works and then sometimes they'll, they'll hire someone to fill data in to justify what they're saying. Ben's the other way around. Ben starts with the data and then like figures out what works and then coaches people on that. So he's like the, he, he is, a, a, the niche is, if you're a smart person who wants actual empirical data to understand how to actually change, he's the dude to, to, to listen to. All right, second mistake. You don't know why your audience will care. If you don't know why your audience will care about your book, then they won't. I cannot be more clear about this. this is one of the most important things I'm gonna teach. If you don't know why they care, they won't, right? 
a hard truth you should all sear into your brain. Please listen to this. Your audience does not care about your book. They don't, right? What do they care about? They only care about what your book gets them, right? And that's true for every, I have, I, I don't know how many thousand of books in my uh, library here. I don't care about any of these authors. I, I, even like Charlie's book is in here. I like Charlie as a person. I don't care about him as an author, right? What I care about what? is, I know, really, seriously, what a jerk, right? <sighs> but I only care about how that book is going to help me. And all of you buy books. So you all know when you buy a book, you're not like, oh, they seem like a nice person. I'll buy their book. Of course not. What you do is you think this book will help me in some way. You get me something I want. Like if it's fiction, it gets me entertainment, escapism, whatever. If it's nonfiction, it's going to help me solve a problem or create a transformation. But the point is you always buy them for yourself. People forget this when they start writing their own books. So sear this into your brain. Your audience doesn't care about you or your book, only what your book will get them. All right. So we're going to dive into in a second, really why this matters. So the third big mistake is confusing psychographics with demographics. Now we just had David Allison on. He talks about value graphics. It's very similar. Think of value graphics and psychographics as the same thing. Demographics are what people are, sex, age, race, class, marital status, income. They're objective external things that you can measure and see, right? For example, a woman aged 45 to 65, married with children, dealing with issues of weight gain, diabetes, and lack of energy, household income over $100,000. That's a demographic profile of a set of people, right? But you still don't know anything about them, right? This is my favorite onion ad of all, or uh, onion joke of all time. Field of demography collapses after 92-year-old woman buys monster energy drink and sweet va fusion vape juice, right? Because like, like no demographic profile would ever have that woman buying those things, but it's totally possible, right? That's why when David was talking earlier about value graphics, he's figured out a way to measure people's, what other people call psychographics, their values, what they think right? What they feel. Psychographics are how people think. Emotions, values, values, and mental state. For example, the same woman we just profiled. Uh, a psychographic profile would be concerned with her health and appearance, wants a healthy lifestyle, enjoys going online in the evenings, tends to favor quality of her economy, values time with friends. Now you know how to market her. But the demographic profile, she could be a Trump voter, a Clinton voter, or whatever, Biden voter, or red state, blue state. She could, uh, you know, there's a million things that, uh, about her that she may not care about her weight. She may care a lot about her weight. You know, like, uh, you don't know, but with psychographics, you, you know, so I think the best thing to do is to combine demographic and psychographic data to target a niche audience. For example, uh, right. Uh, we don't have a Taylor, uh, remind me to put a slide in here for examples. Um, for, for the next time we do this, just to give more specific examples. So uh, we're going to go through primary. The next section is primary audience. So I want you to fill this out, but let me give you some examples of a good primary audience. This is combining uh, demographic and psychographic data to understand who your audience is. But the, the, if that's all confusing to you, you can throw all that out and just ask yourself this question. Who do I want to be a hero to? Who do I want my book to be a hero to? That's it. That's what it all boils down to. So let me give you an example of a bad primary audience. Women 20 to 70 who are suffering and want to feel better. I, like that's, suffering is a, a constant state of life for everybody. It's the, the default state, right? So like 
I don't know what that means. That's, that's too broad. There's no way to market to those people. Any executive who wants to be a better leader, that's every executive, right? That's so broad. It doesn't really mean anything. It's tough. Like you, how are you going to talk to a mid-manager on a plumbing supply company the same way you're going to talk to a high-level executive at Comcast? There's no way, right? Too broad. Young men and women looking for something more out of life. That doesn't mean anything. That's not a really good primary audience. It's way too broad. Now, let's give you some good specific ones. These are just examples, of course. Chiropractors who own their own practice looking for better ways to market their business. Now you know exactly who they are. This is a specific uh, professional in a specific profession who has a specific problem, right? Chiropractors own a practice, aren't marketing good. Next one, accredited investors looking for how to get into wine as an investment. Again, very specific, right? People who, are, who have a lot of money, who want to invest it, want to invest in wine. Women executives, age 30 to 45, who want to have kids but don't want to compromise their career. Now notice, that's actually a big niche. There's a lot of women in that niche. Big, big is okay if they all have the same problem. And it's very, you can clearly identify that problem. And that's women executives, 30 to 45, wanting to have kids, don't want to compromise career. That's, that's a pretty solid niche in that uh, even though it's a lot of people, they probably think very similar have similar values and problems. Does all make sense? Here's a good example. This is a book called The Game-Changing Attorney. We did this book by Michael Mogill. He basically, it teaches attorneys with law firms how to market their law firm, right? And when we were doing the book, Mike uh, thought, hey, I should, maybe I should just make this for all, anyone in it, like, a, with a, like any uh, service professional right? Because he's like, it could work for not just attorneys, but it could work for investment professionals and wealth advisors. And there's a huge class of professionals it could work for. And it was like, hold on, Mike, Mike has a company that, that does video marketing videos for attorneys. And we're like, those people aren't like wealth advisors aren't your clients, are they? He's like, no. Do you want them as clients? He's like, eh, not really. It's like, all right, focus the book only on attorneys, right? Even though I'm telling you if, you, if you own a wealth advisory, you could buy this book and you could take 95% of what's in this book and use it for your firm. You would never buy it though, because this is a game-changing attorney, which is good. Because if you're an attorney looking for advice on marketing, you're not going to buy marketing books when there's a marketing book for attorneys right there. So that's why he chose this positioning. And by the way, it's worked fantastic. He is, his firm has grown, I think, 5X over the last two years or something crazy like that. And he's blown up. The book's been a big part of why. Not the only reason why, but it's been a really big part of why. And so um, that's why niche positioning, whereas if he just said the small business marketing guide, they would not, no attorney thinks that's for them, right? Everyone thinks they're special. Is all making sense to everybody? All right, so what I want you to do right now is write your primary audience. And then when you write it on your template, if you wanna share it, put it in the comments, the chat, and let's start reading some of those out. And we might do a hot seat or two as well, so raise your hand. No, let's do hot seat oh. with Avatar. Let's do okay, with Avatar. Okay, cool, cool, Never mind. Hey Tucker, here's one. Um, uh, let's see. Looking for some feedback here. This is from Jeremy. Modern entrepreneurs married with kids that want to reduce their impulsive behaviors, find focus, and express more internal certainty. 
I have no idea what that, what, yeah, it's, yeah. it's broad and I don't understand what the connection, what does kids have to do with this? What, what does certainty get you? What's the book about? Like, that's what, it doesn't make sense. Like, notice how all the primary, let, let me go back. Notice all the primary audiences I had, you know exactly what their problem is. Chiropractors who want to market better, credit investors who want it, wine, women executives who want kids but don't want to compromise career. Like, you know what their problem is. I don't know what the problem is of that audience. So read more. Here's, Here's a good one. one to dissect. Go ahead, Emily. Go. Anyone struggling to move past adversity or a traumatic experience? This person likely suffers from anxiety or PTSD, whether or not they've been formally diagnosed. They're feeling stuck and depressed and can't figure out a way to bounce back from their trauma. I was going to say it's too broad. It... Well, I that think this one is interesting. Yeah, because it depends on what your solution is, right? Like if you're speaking particularly to someone who's survived a, a certain kind of trauma and your, your advice is very, very specific, then obviously you want to niche down to that one specific group, such right. as like war veterans versus rape survivors, right? They're going to have different kinds of advice. But if what you plan to teach in your, your group, in your book, actually is like a general, here's how to overcome trauma of all different kinds, then that particular audience does work. Yeah, that actually may work. Even though, again, like, like we said, a broad audience with a specific, excuse me, specific solution can work. And so if, if this is, here's how to, to dissect and overcome trauma, you know, like uh, here's the way, there, you know, vagal nerve, whatever stuff, or there's a million different ways to do it, then that actually, that might work. My instinct is that's probably too broad, but it may work. Who else? Here's one that feels like it might be um, closer to Mark. This is from Sharon. It says, moms in their 30s who want to start homeschooling yet are scared of missing something and causing their kids to fall behind. So there's some clear, yeah. some clear I mean, demographic. It, assuming that's stuff. a book on, right. Assuming that's a book on how to homeschool, right? I'm not sure why it needs to be moms in their 30s. I guess just because most moms are in their 30s. But like, like sometimes, so, again, some niche parts don't need to go in there. Moms who want to start homeschooling their kids but are afraid to do it because they're afraid they're going to miss something important, then that's good. Like the, the Anxious Mom's Guide to Homeschooling or something like that, um, which again, I'm just spitballing, the, that actually would be really good. That would be a really good way to, to or the Perfectionist Mom's Guide to Homeschooling, something like that. Because there's a lot of homeschooling books out there or the the... The, the homeschooling guide for moms who don't want to miss something. Something like that might be really cool. Here's one that I, Tucker, I'm curious what you think about this one. It's uh, actors who haven't yet made it in the film and TV industry. And, and my first reaction is like, well, that's most actors. Yeah. But that actually might still be niche enough to work. I, I think it's totally niche. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's the, it's just actors who haven't that's made it. it. That's it? That's it. That's all that there is here. What problem do they have this, that they haven't made? They haven't made it. Yeah, no, that, that's, that is niche enough. That actually is. Even though, again, a lot of people is okay. Niche means more about the problem. And if you are an actor and you haven't made it, that is a specific problem. So yeah, that, that could work. There are a few I want to call out that are uh, vague. We can kind of look at a couple of these together. Women business owners who are struggling to get out of their own way. Uh, entrepreneurs who want to reduce their impulsive behaviors and find focus. 
women struggling to get pregnant. Like these are really, really huge audiences. And again, it's, it's about finding what is the specific, I, I like to think of it as what's the pain that makes them pick up your book? Like how, yeah. how do you get that specific that they, they see this sliver of a solution and they're like, yes, that's what I want. Yeah. No, it's 100%. Women struggling to get pregnant is a pretty specific pain, although I'm, you may even want to go more niche. It depends on what you're talking about. But like women entrepreneurs trying to get out of their own ways, that's way too broad. I don't know what that means. Um, here's, here's a really tight one, actually. How to work with your spouse from home. Super <laughs> specific problem. <laughs> that's a great one. Oh, write that book right now. Yeah. <laughs> Cut it out soon, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what the key is. You make up an imaginary person and you blame everything on them. This Cheryl, Cheryl keeps leaving cups over here. Will you talk to her? I've talked to her. She's not doing it. You know? Right, actually, right, worst. right next to this one is another one one that i think actually just really misses the mark it's just young women in their 20s i know nothing about that <laughs> it doesn't tell me anything at all okay i, I can't be any clearer about these everyone uh, every primary audience has to have a problem if they don't have a problem they don't have a pain like emily said if they don't have a pain that's making them pick up your book they're not your audience <laughs> well, maybe all young women in their 20s are in pain. I don't know. But the question is, is it the same pain? Yeah. All right. So this, this gets us to our next point. This is, now we're going to hear, um, we're gonna, this, this is going to be a, 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 this is the serious work session right here. What we're going to do is we're going to ask you to create an avatar of someone in your primary audience and tell their transformation story. Okay. Let's so, define what an, oh, yeah, that's. If only I would do that. Uh, we want you to speak to the one person this book is for, right? Someone who represents the class of people, like the perfect example of your ideal, uh, your primary audience, right? So doing this is how Tim Ferriss and I wrote eight best-selling books. We wrote as, like, our books as emails to friends, right? And so like, because our friends were the, primary audience and we wrote it to them. And then a lot of people who are just like our friends, like the books. Okay. Um, so it's three steps. I'm going to walk you through the next three steps. Describe a typical person in your primary audience. So who are they? Who is this person? Tell me about them. Like give them a name, right? Tell me, you know, it, it, about their age. What do they do? Where are they in life? You don't have to go crazy. Three, four sentences. Fine. Then this is really important. What pain is this person experiencing because they haven't read your book? That's really important. And then what benefit are they going to get from reading your book? Like pretend they read it and they do everything you say. What transformation occurs in their life, right? The point of this whole exercise is to tell the transformation story about your ideal reader. Who were they before the book? What pain are they in? Who are they going to be after they read your book and apply it? You just get to assume they're going to read it and apply it, right? Now, you can tell your own story. Uh, and, and it, like, if you're writing this book for a prior version of yourself, like, you didn't know how to start a business, you learned how to start a business, now you're going to teach 20-something women how to start their own lifestyle business or whatever it is, you can do that. That's cool. So, like, but write about how you used to be, not who you are now. Because for many of us, Reputation books are about helping a prior version of ourselves solve a problem we had. It makes total sense. So, uh, Taylor, um, let, let's pull it. You put the, uh, 
I actually, I'm going to, I, I want to read one of these. Um, so Jennifer, the example, uh, this is a book. So, so I can tell you, this is a book about teaching an advanced practice nurse, like a nurse practitioner, how to start her own healthcare practice. So who's the primary audience? Advanced practice nurses interested in starting a healthcare practice. Describe a typical person in your, the avatar. What are they like? Jennifer's an APN who currently works for a physician hospital or a large practice. She doesn't make as much money as she feels she should, and she works long hours to take her away from her family. In order to meet volume quotas and stay on schedule, she isn't able to spend time with her patients. It makes her feel rushed and stressed. So part of this, it's very typical for people to put the pain up in the description of the person, which is what she did. This is a real book, by the way, for a real author, which is fine. She worries she may be missing things or not providing quality of care that would be possible if she had more time. Further, she's not able to practice the type of preventative relationship-based care that fuels her soul. She's afraid of leaving the security of her current position, but she isn't sure she wants to keep practicing if she doesn't actually make a change in her life. She wants to start her own practice, doesn't know where to start or what to do. She's looking for guidance and permission, but hasn't found a book or mentor to help her. That's pretty good. Now let's really dive into the pain here. Jennifer feels stressed and rushed at her current job. She's unhappy, unfulfilled, and has a considered leaving nursing. She's afraid of starting her own practice because she doesn't know where to start or what to do. She's afraid she'll fail. She's afraid she won't make any money. She's a nurse, not an entrepreneur. She isn't sure if doing things, if she's doing things right, which is scary because she likes to follow the rules like all nurses do. My wife's a nurse. That's why I know. All this uncertainty means it's taking Jennifer a lot longer than she should to start her practice, leaving her in her current job where she's unhappy. Now, again, if you notice, there's some overlap in the pain between the description and the pain. That's okay if you do that. Now, let's talk about the transformation. Jennifer will get a step-by-step -step guide to start her own practice. The process is no longer mysterious. It now seems achievable. She knows the applicable laws and regulations, so she has peace of mind knowing she won't be breaking rules. With this roadmap and examples of other APNs who have succeeded, Jennifer now has the confidence and permission to start her own practice. She's less afraid of failure. Uh, 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 she's less afraid of failure because she has strategies to mitigate the risk of starting a business. She's now fast-tracked to get what she wants, a better lifestyle, freedom and autonomy to practice the type of medicine she loves, and the ability to benefit from her hard labor and a recognition as a leader in the community. I would even uh, so extend this to say that she now starts the practice and she's doing it and, and now she's left her nursing job. That's the real transformation, right? This, this is the way that this author wrote this is she gave her the transformation after she finished the book, which is all true. The ultimate goal is for her to actually start the practice, right? All right. So if you want to read more on here, keep reading. Um, I, I don't want to keep reading a bunch. Uh, there's, four on here that are, are good examples. Um, read those. You, it's, it's posted in the, in the chat, right? Yeah, t I believe Taylor put it in there. Tucker, uh, uh, one more thought I had on this. If transformation is, it, for whatever reason, too vague of a notion, I, I always like to think of this exercise as the hell and heaven exercise. The more vividly you can describe the absolute hell they're dealing with, and the more vividly you can describe the heaven they're getting to, the better it is. That's a great, great point. Yeah, if you want to consider a hell and heaven exercise, go ahead. That totally works. So uh, we're going to take a, like a two-minute break, give you guys some time. If you want to be hot-seated with this, in the chat, say, I'm done. I'm ready to be hot-seated. No, to raise then, your hand when you're done. <laughs> it, no, it's easier to see, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so raise your hand. And I don't expect anyone to happen right away. Um, and then we'll, we'll hot seat one or two people, have them read them.
Hey guys, it's Charlie here. If you're enjoying the podcast, then you will love our free online workshops where we give you our exact step-by-step process for how to write, publish, and market your book. Again, this is 100% free and you can sign up at scribebookschool.com. During the workshops, we give you every piece of information you need to write a book, templates, video lessons, Q&As, and special tricks from your instructor, Tucker Max, a four-time New York Times bestselling author. There's no cost, no catch, it's just free. You can sign up for our next live workshop at scribebookschool.com. Back to the episode. Let me see here. I'm going to bring on Jade. You there, Jade? Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. Jade Barkley. We know Jade. Hey, how you guys going? How are you doing? I really appreciate the 3 a.m. wake up call. Thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you for showing up. (laughs) I wouldn't miss it. Um, Cool. So where do you want me to start? Start with who's your primary audience? Uh, So hypermobile people who can't figure out why exercise makes things worse. Oh, wow. Okay. So tell, so yeah. then do the next one, describe them, like give them a name, describe them. Okay. So Sarah had a busy active life and then her health blew up and she can't figure out why she's had to reduce work. There's almost zero energy left for anything social. She's collected a bunch of diagnoses in recent years, got lots of conflicting information and no real answers or improvement. She can't figure out why exercise is making things worse She wants evidence-based solutions, but this body doesn't seem to match the textbooks and the gentlest exercises and treatments seem to do harm. Huh. All right. So what's her pain? Although you covered Uh, a lot of it though. Yeah. uh, I've done the pain thing. Um, So I used to dance. I was an athlete and then my body went weird. I had lots of injuries and a decade with no answers and now I've got all these diagnoses, but there's no real way forward and there's no management plan and nothing's coordinated. And now the tiniest movement makes things worse. Sleep makes things worse. Uneven surfaces are impossible to walk on without pain. Um, Eating hurts. Doctors don't listen. They dismiss and they don't understand. Nobody can connect the dots. And I'm trying to stay active and avoid a wheelchair and prevent deterioration but I get injured just walking or being in the kitchen. I just want to be able to dance again. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the transformation. Uh, She can keep up. Sarah can keep up with her kids now. She goes skiing and she is dancing again. (laughs) Um, And just from reading the book, I want them to know where to start, know what's possible and know where to turn. What's the basic premise? Like what's the basic solution? Um. This is basically from my research. I've just done 40 interviews with these people, which is why I'm so in their story. And it's uh, basically there are seven very valid um, physical reasons why exercise does harm, medical reasons why exercise does harm, and they are slipping through the cracks. (laughs) So helping to actually identify what those reasons are um and then how to actually work with them um in a in a way where uh you can 
you don't need to do uh, incidental movement. You need to do into intentional movement, and there needs it needs to be it needs to be adapted to these bodies that don't actually match the textbooks. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so the transformation is going to be something. The deeper way, I would say, it, like the the pain you nailed. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the description of the pain, the transformation is something like she's finally going to understand that she's not some freak, that she is right, that the diagnoses were wrong, that there is a reason why she's having these issues, that exercise doesn't work for everyone, and that she's going to be able to understand exactly which of the you know, seven diagnoses mm -hmm. or whatever, which of the, what her specific yeah. problem is, and then she'll know how to move forward both in her life and the way she talks to her practitioners Yes. Uh, and so, so that she can get to a place where she's able to sleep, she's able to dance, she's able to finally have the life she wants. Is that right? Okay, I'm crying now. Um, yeah, that's awesome. It, like the, in in their words, uh, like two thirds of these guys cry in their doctor's office when someone finally listens to them, and in their words, it's like finally someone told them they're not crazy and it's not all in their head. So. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. That's really good. Okay. That's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the middle of a PhD on this right now. Um, so I'm, I'm, I really want to be able to share it with people in a way that makes the difference, not just get academic publishing credit. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You so. want, you want people to adopt the idea and understand. Yes. I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. No, that's fantastic. So, uh, so everyone listening, this is a part, Jade, you went through this, right? I, yeah, I have this, I'm doing a PhD on a condition that I had. I had 24 years delayed diagnosis when the average delay is 21 years. And I didn't start getting better until I had the diagnosis and I could actually look up the right keywords and connect with the right people. But um, not everybody can jump on a PhD program and talk to the best and figure it out, right. in the world on this. So, you know? so just, just so everyone listening understands, this is very common. Remember when I said that, that the avatar is often you? So in this case, both Jade and Ian, the first, they, they're both exactly their avatar. They had a problem, they solved it, and now they're bringing their knowledge and wisdom to the world to help other people with the same problem. This is the perfect use of a reputation uh, book, of a share knowledge book. This is exactly what it's used for. And, um, and this is great. I'm excited. To add something there, like this is also an example of how you're using your story in a reputation book. A lot of people earlier today were asking about this, and both of these books will, will rely heavily on the author's own stories, yep. which gives them a lot of credibility and, and um, validation in the eyes of the reader. Yep, exactly right. Thank you, Jade. Thanks, Thank you, Jade. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, I just want to add to what you guys are saying. That was great. The, this is such an important exercise. Like, and the, the more you can truly dig into the pain and speak to very specific moments and things that they're going through, the more likely they're going to take you seriously and pay attention immediately to you. So you should almost have like a physical state change after doing the pain exercise of like you, you feel what they what they are going through on a day-to-day -day basis
Thanks so much for listening to the episode. We hope you got a lot out of it. If you found this episode valuable, then definitely check out our free online workshops at scribebookschool.com. During the workshop, we'll teach you our exact step-by-step process for how to write, publish, and market your book. It's totally free, and you can watch it right from the comfort of your home. Again, you can sign up at scribebookschool.com. And beyond that, you can support the podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay tuned because we have a lot of good stuff coming on Scribe Book School.